Welcome to Someday is Here, a podcast for Asian American women on leadership and culture. I'm your host, Vivian Mabuni. This podcast has been created to carve out a space for Asian American women to explore and validate living in both Eastern and Western worlds. Each week, we will celebrate our heritage and highlight Asian American history. My guests and I will explore our various Asian American journeys, both the parts that we are proud of and the parts that have brought pain. We'll discuss practical tips on leadership and our favorite comfort foods, of course. This is a place and a space to bring words and understanding to our shared experience living biculturally. I am so glad you're listening and look forward to your feedback. Enjoy the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to this week's episode of Someday is Here. So glad that you are here. And I want to encourage you to continue to register for the very first Someday is Here live event. It'll be taking place February 22nd, 2020 here in beautiful Southern California. So those of you who are in cold climates, please come and thaw out here with us. It's a one-day event with several of the first season episode guests that will be here live. So excited about the lineup of speakers. We are going to have lunch together and optional seminars. We have so many great things planned and just excited to have face-to-face time with incredible Asian American women from all over the country. So get your tickets. They The early bird price is only $25 until November 15th. And after that, it's going to go up to $30. You can get more information um, out on our Eventbrite. You can find that on my website, vivianmabuni.com. Or if you are on Instagram, you can go to my profile and under my profile, there's a link tree that has a link that goes to the Eventbrite. So get your tickets and be a part of history making. It's going to be fantastic and we really want you to be there. So bring your friends and come join us for the very first Someday is Here live event. And we are also going to be taping a live podcast um, conversation. So it's going to be fantastic. This week, I am so excited to introduce to you our guest, Victoria Park. What a delightful, delightful person. I just had the best time talking with her. She is uh, so kind and talented, and you probably best know her on the TV show every week um, on The Flash. She has She's a star on that show right now and, and spends half her time filming for the, for the show up in Vancouver in uh, Canada. And she's also been on uh, the lead role for Gabby Cho on Sweet Vicious on MTV. And she's also been in the feature film, Everything Before Us by Wong Fu Productions. So she is comfortable in front of the camera as well as behind the camera. And she is just so talented, a rising star in the industry right now. And it was just so great talking with her about her ethnic journey and some of the things that she's seeing as an insider in the industry. And just the importance of representation matters. She was just so, so wonderful. And I cannot wait for you to hear our conversation. And I hope you will connect up with her, with her on her social media and just look for her 
she's going to be showing up in so many places. So um, it's just so fun to be a part of cheering her on as she cheers us on too. So enjoy this week's episode. This week's Did You Know is about an eight-year-old Chinese girl who helped desegregate schools in 1885. This is really significant because the date 1885 is nearly 70 years before Brown versus Board of Education, which was really the more well-known um, Supreme Court landmark decision about uh, segregation in schools. But this eight-year-old girl living in San Francisco, uh, uh, you know, daughter to Chinese-American parents by the name of Mammy Tape. I hope I'm pronouncing her, her name right. But their case came up in the San Francisco Supreme Court. Basically, Joseph and Mary, her, her parents were very well-to-do middle-class Chinese-American couple who uh, enrolled their eldest daughter in an all-white school. And the principal refused to admit her because they cited existing school board policies against admitting Chinese children. So at the time, there was a lot of anti-Chinese sentiment in California. And a lot of uh, white Americans blamed the Chinese immigrants for taking their jobs. So basically, um, what was believed at the time was that the Chinese were unable to assimilate to mainstream American culture. So here, you know, these parents who had come to the U.S. as children themselves and were completely westernized in language and dress and lifestyle decided to file a lawsuit on behalf of their daughter and uh, the board, and San Francisco Board of Education, and they won. That's this week's Did You Know? Welcome back to another episode of Someday is Here. <laughs> and I am so excited to introduce to you the guest this week, uh, the amazing Victoria Park. And she is an actress and she's a filmmaker. Uh, she likes cats, which that may be an issue, although I did grow up with a cat. Um, <laughs> but you probably know her most in her um, role on The Flash. And she is just, she's just done so many great things. So I can't wait to hear more of her story and for us to get to know Victoria. So thank you, Victoria, for being on. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. <laughs> yes. Well, Victoria, let's see how, you're in LA right now. Yes, I am. And then you spend some of the time in Canada. I do. Yeah. The flash shoots in Vancouver. So um, I spend about half my time there and half my time in LA, which uh, has been a huge blessing to be able to live in two awesome cities. Oh, yes. Now, did you yeah. grow up in LA? No, I grew up in Chicago. Um, so I lived there until I was 22. And then I packed my bags, moved to LA and never looked back. Wow. Well, okay. Yeah. So we're going to like pull it back because... Okay. The here and the now is that you are um, in this incredible space during an incredible time mm -hmm. and representing Asian American women in such a fabulous way. But I would love to hear some of your journey, like growing up, like what was it like for you in Chicago? Um, and then just 
just how your steps were directed to actually pursue acting. That would be yeah. a really fun conversation. So go for it. <laughs> totally. I'm like such a big story. How do I condense my 30 years of life into <laughs> 10 minutes? Um, so yeah, I was born in Champaign-Urbana, which is um, about two and a half, three hours south of the city. It's very rural there. There's like a campus town. Um, but other than that, it's very rural. And so growing up, I didn't actually have like a lot of Asian friends or really any, there wasn't a lot of diversity. Um, and, uh, yeah, so we just, we grew up there. And then when I was eight, we moved to the Chicago suburbs, which was a little more hip to it, but, um, still a lot of lack of diversity, still pretty conservative. Um, and then eventually I moved to, or went to school and went to Northwestern. And that was when like, I feel like my eyes were open to <laughs> just all of the possibilities um, in this world, I guess, um, you know, being at university. So that was when I decided to change my major. I went in pre-law because, you know, I'm a good Asian girl. And my mom told me that I should be pre-law and I said, okay. And then I got there and I was like, oh my gosh, I really don't like this at all. Um, and so I kind of bounced around to a bunch of, bunch of different majors and um, eventually ended up in film production. Um, wow. And yeah, it was really great. I honestly, looking back, I can't tell you really how I ended up there. I think it was, I've always grown up loving movies. Like, you know, we had a very strict curfew. My parents were pretty strict with me and we had a very strict curfew. But I remember like the only thing my parents let us stay up for were Chicago Bulls games because it was during the Jordan <laughs> era. Oh, and uh right the glory years. <laughs> the right? glory years. And um and the Academy Awards because my mom just loves movies and we grew up watching, you know, like The Sound of Music and The Wizard of Oz and um lots of musicals and lots of movies. And my mom forced us to watch Gone with the Wind, which is a very long movie for children, but yes. <laughs> we just grew up watching all those things. So I think I always just loved movies. And um, when I got to college and kind of was trying to figure out what I loved, I it was the only thing that stuck. And I guess I was optimistic and naive enough to think, you know what? I could do this. Even That's though no so one in my awesome. family is in film at all, but I was like, I could do this. I like it. I could do it. Um, so you decided to break out. Yeah. So tell me, growing up then, did you, so you're Korean American? Yes. So did you speak Korean at home at all? Or was it kind of like, what was that like? Did you have siblings? Yeah. That, that yeah. So um, both of my parents were born in Korea. My mom came over when she was younger, like six, I think, six or seven. My dad came over when he was in middle school. So they grew up, um, you know, speaking both English and Korean. Um, I know for my mom's family, um, they really tried to all speak English because they wanted, you know, the kids to assimilate and everything. And then my dad, um, he was one of the only Korean families in his town. So he was like forced to assimilate really quickly. Mm. Um, and so my parents met, um, my dad's a little older than my mom, but they met at the college campus. My dad was already graduated. Um, but they met in college and, uh, because they met in that type of um, environment. They just always spoke English to one another. They never spoke Korean to each other. Oh, wow. uh -huh. um, yeah. So when my brother and I were born, um, I mean, I, I never heard my parents speak Korean to each other. Um, I picked up a little bit of comprehension because when my brother was born, my mom's parents 
lived with us for a little bit. And so mm. they would speak like Korean and English mixed. Um, and so, but I was like two years old. So um, I am able to understand a little bit, but I was never asked to speak it. So um, I, I don't speak any Korean actually. Mm. And uh, both my parents don't have you know, an accent or anything. Uh, my dad has like a little baby slight accent, but um, yeah, they still speak English to each other. And um, yeah, I mean, even my grandparents speak English. So mm. yeah. So did you guys grow up eating Korean food or what was it like at, like at home? Was it like to take off your shoes at the door kind of a yeah. thing or eat like Korean food or use chopsticks or what was that like? Yeah. It's funny because like, I feel like I didn't really have a good understanding of it, of like, like I was just like, oh, this is just the way my family does it. And mm. I didn't have any other Korean friends to like compare it to um, until college. And so like there's some things that we do, like, you know, obviously no shoes in the house because uh, that's just, you know, <laughs> just I don't know. Um, but we didn't have a lot of Korean food growing up. I remember having it sometimes. And I remember when my grandma would come to visit, we would always have Korean food. And like, I have these distinct memories of, um, like sitting with my grandma on the floor. Like, I don't know why we always sit on the floor. There's tables, but we just sit on the floor and, you know, I help her like separate all the bean sprouts or like wrap, you know, hundreds of dumplings or whatever it was. And mm. it was the thing that we did when my grandma was around, which now I'm like such great memories. But when she wasn't around, I don't remember having Korean food a lot. We were pretty like pretty Midwest, like typical Midwest middle-class family. Mm. A yeah. lot of like pastas and casseroles and stuff like that. Yeah. So, yeah. Wow. And so it was in college then that you kind of began to explore and learn about, like, did you have, did you like meet a group of Koreans or how did that yeah. come about? <laughs> it's so funny because, um, I mean, I just, I guess growing up in the Midwest, there just aren't that many Asians. Like I remember in high school, um, the first day of high school, I like went into the lunchroom and there was this table right by the the first, like right as soon as you walked in, there was this table and they were like, Hey, do you want to sit with us? And I was like, no, I don't know what, like, I don't know you guys. I'm going to go sit with my friends or whatever. And then later thinking back, I was like, Oh, they asked me to sit with them because they were Asian and I was Asian. <laughs> and it like, didn't even connect to me until later on in life, which is so funny now, but we had so few Asians that it was like just the one lunch table and that was it. Mm. Um, and so going to college, I remember we like drove on, my whole family moved me and we like drove onto campus. And I remember my dorm was right across from the international studies dorm. And so like a ton of Asian students were there and they were all like walking across the street to go to eat at my dining hall. And I remember being like, I have never seen so many Asians in my entire life. Like, <laughs> it was such a culture shock to me. Um, and so I think like in the beginning, I really wanted you know, it used to be important for me to like set myself apart and, and kind of like, I even say it with a little bit of shame now because I don't feel this way anymore, but I used to be like, oh, I'm, I'm not like those Asians. Like I, I have friends of all different colors and, you know, mm. and so I tried really hard to separate myself from, um, like being a part of any of that. And then of course, as it often does, it all changed when I got interested in a boy and uh, <laughs> I dated this guy and he was, um, he was, uh, on, um, the Asian chapter of university. And I was in the sorority fraternity chapter of university, which is a Christian fellowship on campuses. And, uh, and we met at like a 
you know, all the groups get together and hang out. And we met there and we started dating and he kind of like opened my eyes um, to kind of Asian American groups. And I started meeting all these, you know, Asian American people and started becoming friends with them. And um, one of the girls that I met, I still remember, she's like one of my best friends. She you know, was one of my maids of honor and everything, but she's Korean. And I remember having this conversation with her and I'm like complaining about something that my mom was doing. And normally these conversations like would go a certain way. Like I would be talking to my friend and I'd be like, oh, my mom complained, complained, complained. And then my friend would be like, that's crazy. Like your mom sounds crazy. That sounds really hard, you know? And so I'm like telling her this and I'm like waiting for the, you know, that's crazy response. And she's just like, yeah. I'm like, isn't that crazy? And she's like, you know, honestly, that's kind of how Korean moms are. Like, that's just what it means to be Korean. And it like Mm. blew my mind that I was like, oh, this, these things that I've always thought were unique to me and kind of like made me feel like, oh, nobody really understands are actually things that might be cultural. And so that Mm. was like so fascinating to me because I had never, that had never even crossed my mind. You know what I mean? Mm. Totally. I grew up in Colorado, so I can totally relate to being one of the handful of Asian Americans and just really wanting to fit in and trying to make sure that people knew that I was fluent in English and Mm -hmm. it was my, you know, my primary language that I think and dream in and all of that. So I can identify with a lot of that. For you growing up, do you remember times when, you know, that were painful for you? as an Asian American? Hmm. You know, I, I like this question because I feel like, you know, when people talk about um, their experience growing up being Asian American, I feel like the one thing that everyone always is like, the quintessential story is like bringing your lunch to school, right? Mm-hmm. And I never had that experience. Like my mom made me sandwiches like anybody else. Like they were, she made me these really fancy lunches and, you know, other people would like envy my lunches, you know, cause my mom was like Martha Stewart and like, you know, I never, <laughs> I never had that experience. And so I've always been like, oh, I, I was very fortunate to have not had that. Um, but my dad brought up an interesting point and I think I'm still kind of working through this, but um, like growing up, I, I was bullied a lot for being different. And I always just kind of felt like, oh, I'm different. I'm different. And my dad recently was like, I wonder how much of that was because you were different. Or I wonder how much of that was because like, it was like race related. And Mm -hmm. that had never entered my mind before. Um, And I can't say, you know, looking back, which it was. Um, Mm -hmm. I want to give people the benefit of the doubt and think maybe I was just like a weird kid. But, um, you know, it it does make me think like, I wonder if people just bullied me because I was the only Asian kid in class. I was the only Mm -hmm. white kid, non-white kid in class, you know? Like, I mean, I don't know. And I would love Mm -hmm. to like kind of dig into that and see... Um, Mm. yeah, I don't know. It's weird that it, it kind of gives me a little more comfort in a weird way to be like, oh, I have a reason why they bullied me, you know, um, even though it's, it's wrong and it kind of makes you feel icky, but yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It is so interesting. I think in our, our ethnic journey, there's like these memories that lock in Mm -hmm. and it's, and at the time, especially when there's not others to validate Mm-hmm. Like, you know, your maid of honor and friend to go, oh yeah, that's just, that's Korean moms. It's like, there's always the wondering and the second guessing. Mm-hmm. And then as we kind of journey in to 
just all of the the nuance of being Asian American mm-hmm. and what that looks like, especially growing up as the only one. Yeah. Um, that for sure is something that, yeah, that we are totally on journey for. So mm-hmm. I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah. And, yeah Still I just think, working through it, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And that's what's so beautiful. I think all of us come in at such different places mm-hmm. in our experience and with where we've grown up and who we know and how it, how we are, how we navigate even like the people in our lives that help bring and give us words to put to our experience. Mm-hmm. Sometimes when we don't have that, even there's just, there's a, there's just that wondering and then hearing it goes, there's this knowing like, oh yeah, that's totally, mm-hmm. I'm relating to that. So totally. Yeah. yeah. No, I appreciate that. I appreciate yeah. that. So Anyway, so as you're going through and then college and you became a film maker <laughs> and tell me like what happened after that? Like, Yeah. Um, so, you know, I majored in film and I really wanted to be a cinematographer and, you know, I love like visual aspects of movies and um, just really liked being um, in the film department. You know, our classes were like, like I had a class that was like Stanley and Kubrick and you just watched like Stanley Kubrick and sorry, Stanley Kubrick and um, Scorsese. And mm. all we did was watch Scorsese movies and Kubrick films and that's it. And it was like the best class ever. <laughs> and I was like, this is so great that I can just study this and do it. And then, you know, graduation came around and I was like, I had a great time, but I don't have a job and I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. And a lot of my friends were like getting married or getting jobs. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to move to LA and I don't know what I'm going to do there, but it just feels right. So I packed up my car, bless my father. He was like, okay, cool. This is what we're doing. He drove me out to LA, um, which is so amazing. Yeah. My dad is so awesome. Um, Like growing up, he always, he has kind of an atypical job and he always told me like, you know, um, just follow your passions, follow your dreams and you know, you'll never work a day in your life. And I, Mm. saw him do it, you know, with his job. And so I knew that I had his support and luckily he, he did follow through and he was like, okay, I'm going to support her. Um, drove out to LA. I didn't know a single person. Um, I found an apartment, started like looking for work and, um, yeah, I, I, I honestly don't, I don't know how I did it thinking back on it. I was a little overcome. I mean, you know, the overconfidence that comes with being 22, I guess. Um, <laughs> oh, the and, youthful uh, zeal. <laughs> yes, you know, just so optimistic. And um, and yeah, and then within a couple of months, I somehow found myself in an acting class and really loved it. And then um, like got represented from there and then just kind of found myself doing it and um, and loving it and like being able to find work, which was, you know, everyone kept telling me like it's crazy that you're that you're working as much as you are. So you should keep doing it. And, um, and every year I would kind of touch in with myself and be like, okay, like, is this still what I want to do? Maybe I'll just give it like one more year, but now Mm. I've been doing it for eight years and it's like, Mm. okay, I guess I'm doing this now. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So yeah, that's kind of how I, how I ended up where I am now. Well, I'm curious in light of where you are now and in light of what's happened in the industry, yeah, um, you know, with Crazy Rich Asians, with The Farewell, mm-hmm. with Sandra O, oh, with, you know, Kim's Convenience, with all of these fresh off the boat. I mean, there's just mm-hmm. shows, The Flash, You on The Flash. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, what, from your vantage point, 
kind of being on the inside. What's going mm-hmm. on and what is your prediction? Ooh, great question. Um, so I am like not shy about telling everybody I'm so fortunate to have started when I did. You know, there the generation that came before, I mean, not even really like before, it's not that Sandra O is that much older than me, you know, but like they worked so hard and really paved the way for mm. people like me who just started eight years ago to come on the scene and not really even have to work that hard. Um, I think the industry was was kind of ready to diversify a little bit or maybe even forced to diversify a little bit um, by the time I was looking to get some jobs. And so, um, you know, at first it was like, oh, we're just going to fill all of our one-liners with diverse people. Like, hey, Mm -hmm. diverse people, who are you? And I was like, I have no credits. I need one-liners. So Mm. I kind of came in and it was like a perfect marriage. And then as I started getting more of those, the industry was like more open to, okay, maybe we'll have like guest stars in diverse roles. And I was like, hey, I'm ready for that too. And so that was like a perfect marriage. And then now I feel like, you know, um, going out for like, you know, more like leading lady or like, you know, um, more like, stronger, larger roles because industry is finally ready for it. And so I feel like I, I just came in at the perfect time and I'm like so, so grateful that it worked out the way that it did. And I'm like so grateful to the people that worked so hard to get us to this mm. point, you know, cause I, I know that I would not have had an easy time of it, um, without, without them. So mm. yeah, it's a really exciting time right now. Um, and it's super exciting to be a part of it and feel like we're making history, you know, and Mm. get really emotional just even thinking about it, you know, like, I mean, growing up, like, I don't remember ever seeing people who look like me and, you know, it's like, oh, like, let's not over romanticize it, you know, but like, in some ways I look back and I'm like, I wonder if that did play into, um, my lack of self-esteem or my, um, belief that like I couldn't do what other people could, or even just the fact that like I was bullied or whatever, you know, like all of that stuff must have been affected by the fact that there weren't people who looked like me, um, Mm -hmm. you know, on our screens or whatever that really influences you. And so, um, I think it's so, so special to be a part of, um, just such a big wave of change. And I think moving forward, um, I mean, I, I can't see us, taking a step back. I feel like we're finally at a place where we're like, we've arrived, we've made our presence known, people like the things we're making. And um, I think we're just going to keep doing more and more, you know? I'm excited. I'm excited to see where things go. Do you think you're going to, I mean, you've done work behind the camera and in front of Mm -hmm. the camera. Do you have a preference? Um, You know, I really love both. I kind of took myself away from working behind the camera to focus on acting for a long time. Um, And more recently, I've been feeling like, man, I just really miss, I miss being on the other side of the camera. And so I'm actually working on, um, I'm DPing um, like camera shooting, um, a project for a friend of mine and co-directing it with her. Um, And it'll be my first time kind of getting back on the other side of the camera, um, which is, you know, simultaneously exhilarating and terrifying. (laughs) Um, but even just like in the prep work for it, um, you know, I feel like I'm working two full-time jobs. Like I'm working on the flash, but then I'm also prepping this film that I'm working on. Um, 
And so I'm like so stretched thin and I'm so like, just have so many things going on in my head, but it's been so fulfilling to me. Um, mm-hmm. And I've just been enjoying it a lot. So moving forward, I don't know if I'll end up focusing on one or the other, but if I can keep doing both like that, I would love to do that. Mm. Oh, that's so exciting. Well, I would be interested, what are some leadership principles that you kind of live your life by um, Mm -hmm. or you aspire toward? Yeah. Um, I think, I think probably the biggest one would be, um, I don't know if this is a typical leadership principle, but it's the way that I've always lived my life is like leadership through service or sacrifice. Um, I feel like I don't know if this is a cultural thing or what it is. I probably need to do this with my therapist, but I feel like um, I feel like sometimes being a leader or like when people say, "Oh, you're a leader," people look to you like that makes me really uncomfortable for some reason. Like I don't necessarily feel comfortable being in front or being in the spotlight, um, which is ironic as an actor. But um, <laughs> yeah, I just and that makes me feel really uncomfortable. And so I feel like leadership through like power or like um, through like being in the spotlight or whatever um, is not really how I typically feel comfortable. Um, and so something that makes me feel comfortable is um, like lifting other people up and um, kind of the community aspect of it. And, um, you know, I feel like if people who you're working alongside or trying to lead are not happy or don't feel safe to be able to communicate with you or don't feel heard or whatever. Like there, I mean, there's only so far you can go, you know? And Mm. I think, I think the number one thing that kind of propels my life in any arena that I'm in is just like, I want people to feel like loved and seen and appreciated um, no matter what our interaction is like, whether it's just like a coffee shop or whether we're working together every day or whether you're on crew or on the cast or whatever. And so I think um, mm. when it comes to leadership, I, I kind of, it makes sense that I apply it there as well. Mm, that totally makes sense. And I, I do think it's fun that, you know, as you're describing some of the things that are so meaningful to you, mm-hmm. that there are, as I'm listening, like there are those, those elements of culture that are woven mm-hmm. into the very things that you are describing. And so mm-hmm. the, I, I think about the shout outs that people make to those who've gone before yeah, you know, and the recognition, you know, like yeah. this, it's, this wouldn't be possible. And that's totally how we function as Asians in the collective, yeah. you know, yeah. there's people that have gone before and we're trying to make room for the people that are coming behind us. And that's yeah. just so part of our DNA. Yeah. Um, I think that, you know, that brings up a good point. Like I, something I think I appreciate the most about being in this industry as an Asian American is I think the community aspect I feel like it's so unique to Asian American actors and filmmakers. Um, I don't know like other ethnicities or races that like are as community minded as we are. Like when I came in, I remember meeting with so many people um, who are like, you know, stars or whatever, but they're so humble and just like want to help me out. And now I mean, I look as if, if I'm still, you know, on the up and up, but I'm, you know, have people ahead of me who I see as mentors and then people behind me who I'm like trying to help as well. And, mm-hmm. um, and everyone's like lifting each other up. And um, I think it's so unique to 
um, the Asian American community. And it makes me really, really proud to be a part of it. Mm. It's like so special, you know, and mm-hmm. it's so cool to see how we're like genuinely supporting one another and helping one another. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. To me, there's that difference between a scarcity mentality and an abundance mentality. Yeah. And I just feel like we just, if we, there's just no running out of yeah. ideas and relationships. I mean, there's just so much more. And yeah. when we start grabbing hold and getting protective, I think we end up losing out. And mm-hmm. and I think our souls kind of shrivel up, <laughs> when, yeah. you know, when we just are just thinking just about self and, mm-hmm. you know, personal. So yeah. that's amazing. So, so I'm curious, were you, did you have any pressure to marry Asian? That's such a good question. Um, You know, my parents really were great about this. They didn't really have a preference if I married Asian or not. Um, And I've dated all across the board, um, but mostly I've dated probably white or Asian. Um, It just kind of happened out there happened that way. Um, and probably just because how I was raised as well. It's like just something I feel, I don't know, more comfortable with, but, um, I ended up marrying my best friend from childhood who is Korean. Um, but it's interesting now when we talk about, cause both of us didn't think we were going to end up with a Korean, um, because <laughs> we both grew up just so not Korean, you know, compared mm-hmm. to other Korean Americans. And we always felt like, oh, we're not like as Korean American as like other people. And, um, and so I guess it just makes sense that we both were like, well, that's just like not, you know, who we gravitate towards or like relate to. Um, but it's funny that we ended up with each other because we were raised very similarly and we both were like the only, you know, in our, um, in our mostly white circles. And so Mm. the fact that we're together actually makes a lot of sense. And, um, I, I never thought I would say this, but like, I love that he's Korean. Like I love (laughs) that we can make Korean food together and like have kimchi in our fridge. And like, it's just, (laughs) you know, it's given that we're going to take our shoes off when we come in the house, like stuff like that. Um, And, but at the same time, you know, being able to also recognize that like we're American as well and Mm. um, being able to appreciate both of those and kind of be on the same page. Like it's just, I couldn't have picked a better you know, partner. So it worked out for for us. And I'm glad that my parents didn't really pressure me either way. Mm -hmm. That's so true. It's like, it's, it's, um, parents can be so, they can make or break sometimes, you know, I mean, I hear as many stories of just, you know, uh, parents. And then now that I am one, I'm like, oh, (laughs) I'm just reliving the very things I promised I would never do. (laughs) I know. The circle of life. (laughs) It's the circle of life. It is the circle of life. Well, do you have any favorite Asian comfort foods? Oh my gosh, do I? Um, I knew this question was going to come up because I know you ask this and I love (laughs) food. I like, I'm like all about food all the time. Like if I could have a superpower, I feel like it would just be to like never get full and not gain weight and just like be eating all the time. Cause I love it. I love food so much. Um, which I think is cultural as well. You know, that idea of gathering at the table and, you know, preparing a two hour, preparing for two hours and then sitting for three hours and then like cleaning up and preparing for the next meal. Like that's such a cultural thing. And, but, um, if I had to narrow it down to one thing, um, it would be dumplings, like any type of dumpling, um, which my husband likes to make fun of me. Cause he's like, you like, like your favorite food and every type of cuisine is dumplings. Like 
I really like, you know, like ravioli or really <laughs> like pierogies or like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's like always the dumpling, the, the something dumpling. wrapped in something that like, mm-hmm. it just gets me in my heart place. It's so good. <laughs> you know? Victoria, I love it. It's so funny because my cousin is married to Mexican. Uh-huh. So, and she was saying, she goes, all of the cultures all have the same burrito. Like, yep. Mushu pork is a burrito and it, you know, yep. and a burrito is a burrito. And she just kind of listed all these things. So what you're describing, I mean, seriously, well, across the Asian, you know, spectrum, mm-hmm. but then you're talking ravioli and it's Italian. It totally it's basically the same thing. It's basically yeah. the same thing. I just I love, love carbs wrapped around something that's not carbs. It's great. Mm, 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 it's mm. just perfect. So delicious. So yeah. very, very good. <laughs> So when you think about like what you would love to see for the future, Mm -hmm. you know, like even like what, you know, God willing, you know, that as you, you know, perhaps become a mom one day, like Mm -hmm. what, what are your hopes for, um, you're not yet and maybe, yeah, potentially in the future children, like what would you like to see for them as they grow up likely in a combination of Los Angeles and perhaps Canada or wherever you're shooting (laughs) (laughs) behind or in front of the camera. But what would you, what would you hope that they would retain of their Asian heritage with you and your husband? Yeah, I think that's a really good question because, um, you know, I feel like my parents' generation, because they were the generation that immigrated here, there was so much emphasis put on assimilation um, that, you know, now I'm really sad that I don't speak Korean and I'm sad that we didn't have Korean food growing up. And I feel like both me and my husband feel kind of this like sadness and loss around like the culture that we're now rediscovering um, Mm. because, you know, obviously you needed to assimilate to survive. And I, you know, honor that and respect that. And I'm so glad that my parents did assimilate as well as they did so that I could have the life that I have now. Um, but at the same time, I'm like, man, like, you know, I, I would love, <laughs> I mean, this is like a dream because neither me or my husband speak Korean, but like, I would love for my kids to be able to speak Korean. You know, I would love for them to grow up, um, being like confident in the things that, are unique to our Korean American culture. Um, I would love to be able to um, like teach them about various people throughout history or in um, entertainment or, um, you know, that are Asian American or even just Asian so that they have like these kind of heroes to look up to. Um, But at the same time, like looking forward in the entertainment industry, I would love for us to reach a point where we don't have to talk so much about, like different, like, oh, wow, it's like an Asian film. You know, it's just like, Mm. we can just talk about it. Like, this is just a great film or this is just a great character. Um, Mm -hmm. It's like really well-rounded. And like one of those aspects happens to be that she's Korean American or whatever, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. Um, not in a way that's like, you know, just completely washing away color. Cause I think that it's definitely important, but just not in like, that's the only thing, you know what I mean? Yes, exactly. So, yeah, that would be my dream. And I think, I think we're getting there. Um, you know, even as far as my uh, role on The Flash, like we never really talk about the fact that, you know, she's Asian, um, mm. but clearly I am Asian. So it's mm-hmm. like, you know, I'm bringing 
certain aspects to my character that, you know, maybe um, are colored by the fact that I grew up Asian American, that I am Asian American, but like, we don't have to fixate on it and talk about it and like make it this huge thing, you know, it's just Mm -hmm. part of who she is and who I am. And so I think we're definitely getting there. Um, But yeah, to do more of that, that would be, that would be great. Oh, I echo that a hundred percent. I'm a cancer survivor. And so in the same way, yeah, I just, um, I'm grateful for the lessons that I learned, but it, it, it marks me, but it doesn't define me. Like there's so much more to my life than the fact that I'm a cancer survivor. So what you're describing, I think in the same way that we have so much more that we bring Mm -hmm. in addition to the fact that, you know, we look how we look and there are values that are kind of seared into our being, Mm -hmm. but there's just so much more to each of us. So I love that. I love that you are representing and I love that you are, you know, on a journey like all of us are, you know, discovering and, you know, thinking about and putting words to and processing, you know, who we are and why we respond the way we do and all of that. So, yeah. Very fun. Very, very fun. Well, Victoria, this has been such a fun conversation and I can't wait to meet you in person. We have so many mutual friends. We do. So (laughs) it's just, it's just a matter of time before we sit down and eat. Yes, for sure. Together, (laughs) together. So I would love that. But thank you so much for being on the podcast and sharing your story. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you for joining us this week on Some Days Here. If you've liked what you've heard, please take a moment and subscribe to the show so that each new episode automatically downloads to your device every week. And thank you for sharing this podcast with your friends. We would love for you to rate and review the show so that others can find out about us. A special thank you to the brilliant team that makes Some Days Here possible. The Someday is Here logo is designed by Jocelyn Chung. The original music is by Joseph Patrick with Passion Net Productions. Show notes on the website are by Vicki Pham. The sound engineer is Aaron Kretzman. The director of design and website designer is Kenny Wong. And the executive producer is Chantel Reynolds. Have a great week. And we look forward to you joining us again for another episode of Someday is here.